0: It's good to be back in the Word together this morning. We're gonna be in the book of Acts and it's been awesome to see the waters filled this morning and just rejoice in what Christ has done. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 is where we'll start. As elders, we've been reading a book recently together called The Gospel Driven Church by Jared Wilson. And Jared Wilson identifies a problem in the Western church and this was his solution. The United States desperately needs churches to recommit to the countercultural supernaturalism of biblical Christianity. And he ends a paragraph by saying, in that same chapter, let's make Christianity weird again. And Acts is a book hardwired to do that very thing make us, the Church of Brook Hills, weird again. Acts narrates what sent shockwaves through the ancient world, a church that could not be explained in their former categories. It was countercultural. This new church didn't fit inside their, their preconceived notions about how the world worked. They were supernatural in that nothing natural could explain away their reality. The world outside in our text today even invented a new term, For this new community, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Little Jesus minions entered the world. And this new religious group stood out from every other religious group they had ever witnessed in the history of the world. The church was weird in the world and for the sake of the world was weird. A prevailing thought, I think, in a lot of Western churches and really churches around the globe is that If we're going to impact the world, we have to give the world what it wants. But that's exactly where the problem lies. What the world wants and what the world outside needs are two very different things. And if we cater as a church to give them what they want, we actually forfeit the opportunity to show them what they actually need. The church is actually in being an alternative to life the way that the world preconceives of it. In keeping its weirdness intact, in being otherworldly in the world becomes a, a living argument, one author says, for life the way that God intended. Seen from one angle, Acts depicts this massive struggle. Outsiders are continually accusing this new group of turning the world upside down These Jesus minions were making a mess of things, like the, the Allstate guy on the commercials, right? He's continually causing mayhem wherever he goes. But as Kevin Rowe wisely put it, he said, Luke wants you to see it from a different angle. Is this community the world upside down? Or is this community the world right side up? You tell me what you witness in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. As we read it together. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, that's the Greek and Jewish disciples in Antioch, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. The big idea of this passage is pretty clear God's grace goes global. They're on your outline. God's grace goes global. Luke goes to great lengths in this passage to show you just how large God's heart really is for the world. Luke emphasizes that this extending activity is the whole being of God, opening all of his arms, his full embrace for the world to get in on the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Every person of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is mentioned in this passage as getting involved in this extension of grace to the world. Verse 21, the Lord Jesus's hand was with the initial proclaimers of the gospel to the Greeks and large numbers trusted and turned to the Lord. Barnabas is sent out as a representative to see what all this hype is all about in Antioch and he's so filled with the spirit that he's able to see what God was up to and this is how Luke summarizes his summary when he arrived in verse 23. Verse 23, And saw the grace of God the Father. So, the grace of God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, all active in this new initiative of grace to bring this message of hope to the world. Every ounce of God for everyone on the planet. God the Father's grace was overflowing. The Lord Jesus' hand was overpowering every rebel power in the human heart. And the Holy Spirit was rejoicing, affirming. And right there in in Barnabas' heart. Friends, Acts 11 is not merely showing us the weirdness of the church in the world. It's showing us the wealth of God's heart for the world. He's not grumpy. He's not stingy. You poke him anywhere and grace just comes out. Not one ounce of him is withholding in this chapter. He is all in for all nations. And that is such good news for all of us in this room. Three of my kids uh, go to dances each year, either the prom or Mercedes, over at Evangel Christian School locally because that's their cover school. And it's been amazing to me to watch through the years the impact of a DJ. A DJ can make or break a dance party. And they light up when one of our former members, Weston Aiken, is the DJ because that means all the awkwardness of the middle school former selves uh, subsides and the dance floor will be rocking. The brother can feel the floor. And it's the same here. The triune God starts the song and all the nations are getting in on it. They're joining the dance floor. They're they're walking according to his rhythm. And Dr. Luke, it's like he's doing the fishing pole to everyone in the room, just, just making sure that we can get on the dance floor as well. He wants us to see just how large God's heart is for the world. And two miracles unfold in Acts chapter 11 that show God's extension of grace to the world. These miracles is what we'll chew on today together. The nations, number one, welcome the counterclaim, Jesus is Lord. The nations welcome the counterclaim, Jesus is Lord. Grace ushered both Jews and Greeks to come under the good authority of Jesus as Lord. Grace moved in and every idol moved out. Luke wants us to kind of open the hood of this miracle and see some of the facets of it. So when we open the hood, we see this first component is the bold witness of these disciples. Look in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, they begin proclaiming the word to the very people that persecuted Stephen. Don't miss the miracle of their boldness. Persecution scattered them, but what are they scattering? Seed around the ancient world. Did you catch the irony? Are they on the run or is the gospel on the run? Luke is clear, the gospel's on the run through the Roman world. They're not running for cover, they're running with conviction. Persecution and seeking to prevent the spread of the word actually platformed the spread of the word. They knew despite their earthly circumstances and earthly opposition, their man, the Lord Jesus, was ruling and reigning from heaven. The trial, in a sense, is unfolding in the book of Acts. And I love the fact that Acts uses the word witness to talk about the church's role in the world and their proclamation in the world because the case is closed for the church. We're on the right side of human history. And so even though they're scattering because of the persecution of Stephen, what's pulsing through their veins is the boldness that comes from realizing the Lord Jesus is on the throne. They're scattering seed. And Acts is continually reminding us that the Lord Jesus is out in front. He's the driver's seat of the gospel mission of the church. Jerusalem keeps hearing about what God is doing in chapter 11 with Peter, and they send delegates here to Antioch in the form of Barnabas. And so they aren't out in front with their maps on the table strategizing about how to reach the Roman world. I mean. We just met with Selena, one of our midtermers who serves in the Middle East, and her team is super bold. This was about a month ago, and they proclaim the gospel regularly, and she said something astounding. She said, we proclaim the gospel, and we're not seeing much fruit, but we've seen multiple people come to faith in Jesus and join our church this year, and they've come out of nowhere. They just show up on the doorstep, and God's already readied their hearts, and they're just ready to hear the gospel, and they repent and believe, just like Cornelius in the last chapter why because god's grace is out ahead of us in missions our our presence among the nations is crucial but his grace is so much bigger than our strategic planning grace always outpaces us in mission it's like running a race with Richard and Tara Baxter who are members here i've run 3 5k's i think with them and it always amazes me. I'm just starting to sweat on my way to the turn. And here comes Richard on the way back from the turn toward the finish line. And Tara's right behind him. That's what God's doing. Jerusalem's like, what's God doing? in anyhow, what did Peter just do? They're, they're just watching grace go by. And because grace is always out ahead, outpacing us in mission. We're just catching on in mission. And the second aspect of this miracle we witness here. In Acts chapter 11 is the broad impact of their message. The broad impact of their message. This is the first large scale in gathering of non-Jewish people in Acts. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch. We saw Cornelius and his household recently. But now large numbers are turning in Antioch to follow Christ. And verse 19 references that initial target was the Jewish people. And it's, it was like a silent disco for the rest of the world. If I've never been to one, but maybe you have where you walk into the room and it's silence, but people have headphones on that are tuned in to different frequencies in the room and they're dancing to a beat, whatever they've tuned in that frequency to. And that's what the rest of the world was just watching these Jewish believers on the dance floor, getting jiggy with it. And uh, I don't even know if that's a phrase, but um, uh, and Jews had these headphones on. And so these guys show up from Cyprus and Cyrene and they're like, hey, Let's take those headphones and tune in the world, the Greeks, into this great message. And this miraculous pivot of grace happens. The Lord moves among them. And all of a sudden, the Greeks and the Jews are dancing together there in Antioch. And look at the scale, the bigness of what's unfolding. Verse 21, a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 24, large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Verse 26, for a whole year they met with Paul and Barnabas and large numbers were taught the word. God's grace goes global in this passage and it goes viral as large numbers are turning left and right. And friend, if you're a believer today, if you were put a, a tracking number on your package that arrived on your doorstep that brought you the good news, if you were to trace it every step of the way, you'd eventually land in Acts 11 because this was the beginning of the westward journey of the gospel message that landed the gospel on your doorstep. Some no-name dudes, Luke doesn't even give us their name, from North Africa in an island in the middle of the Mediterranean brought you the only name that saves. The journey of God getting to your address and penetrating your heart started right here in Acts chapter 11. And that's because the Lord's hand was with them and moved through their message. And look at the content of their message there in verse 20. They're proclaiming to the Greeks the good news of Jesus as Lord. This countered everything that the Greeks understood about their world. Caesar wasn't Lord. Their idols didn't hold sway. No, the early Christians were making it crystal clear. There is one Lord and his name is Jesus. You either bow now or you bow later. He had exclusive right to call them forth to repentance before him. It's his way or the highway. There's one Lord and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Doesn't that sound odd? It probably sounded odd to the Greeks' ears that that multiplied their gods based on their needs. But it sounds odd in our culture today, right? This is a counterclaim to what the world claims around us. You may think even if you're new to Christianity or maybe you're outside Christianity and you're just wondering about what we believe. When we say Jesus is the only way and the only Lord, it might sound arrogant to you. For us to have the corner on truth in the world. And and for sure, I'm sure somebody has shared that news with you arrogantly in the past. But I want you to revisit whether the claim itself is arrogant. Think with me for a minute about our dilemma as Christians if we don't tell you it's the only way. Jesus alone predicted before it would happen how he would suffer, how he would die, and when he would rise again. And it happened just as he predicted He's the only guy that can speak from both sides, this side and the grave side, and say this is what's going to play out. And so this is the dilemma we're in as Christians if we don't tell you that he alone is the Lord and he alone is the only path to heaven. When we don't say every other path is a dead end, tell me this, are we being loving? Is it arrogant to say my little finite mind can figure out what's on the other side, or is it humble To say the guy who went over there and rose, he's the guy that determined that issue for us. And we need to tell you the news. He's the only way to get to heaven. You tell me is is bowing to the exclusive claim and this exclusive truth that Jesus is the only Lord, is that the world upside down or is that the world right side up? That's the world right side up. Is it a threat to be suppressed? Or is it a treasure to welcome with surrender? For us as the church of Jesus Christ and these Greeks in this passage, it was a treasure. This message that demanded everything of them to submit to Jesus as Lord came and landed on their hearts with welcomed relief. Many who believed turned to the Lord. It wasn't Jesus take the will. That wasn't their message. It was Jesus has the will. You're either on the board or you're not. They left behind every other God and every other rival throne and came running to the one Lord who reigns. And that's our same message. And I love the rhythm of their dance on the dance floor. It's trusting in the Lord Jesus and turning from everything else that competes in their hearts with the Lord Jesus. It's leaning and leaving behind. That's the rhythm of the Christian life on day one. That's the rhythm of the Christian life every day. Trusting in Jesus as Lord, leaving behind everything that competes with him in our hearts. Friends, if if you do decide, if you hear the music this morning and you decide and you're outside right now and you want to get in and you hear the music, Jesus is going to turn your world upside down, just like Josh said from the baptism waters. But what we found and what you will find is that it's actually right side up. So welcome the claim that counters everything you've ever known because resisting will eventually lose its appeal. Trust in him, turn toward him. Do you hear the music? Come on in. In Hills, our gospel message has teeth to it. We believe in a weird message to a world that believes you do you, me do I'll do me, and we'll all be fine in the end. That's not the message of Christianity. But we can't change the message. We can't tinker with the the offense of the cross in order to get the message across to the world. We have to keep it intact. We might be able to preach a gospel that sounds good to their ears if we soften the collision, the friction between that message and the world. But we preach a gospel that won't save, which is no gospel at all. It's either Jesus as Lord or no Jesus at all. So friends, let's keep the gospel clear, knowing that just as it happened with the Greeks in this passage, the Lord alone can make it dear. Keep it clear, he can make it dear. The second miracle that shows us God's extending hand of grace to the world is on your outline there. The nations unite as a counterculture, the church. The nations unite as a counterculture, the church. In Antioch, gospel proclamation led to the formation of gospel people. And those two that God has joined together, let us never Separate. Believing in Jesus led to belonging to an identifiable community, a weird community called the church. It was weird because in verse 26, the world had to invent a new term for this community. Verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. That's Paul and Barnabas. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So if you look under the hood of this miracle, look, a new term emerges on your outline. The world's categories failed them. A new term, Christians, emerged on the world scene right here in Acts chapter 11. Because why? This, they didn't fit any preconceived category. This community was so distinct. They weren't a subset of Judaism. They didn't attend the temple rituals in any city in the ancient world. Luke's not calling them Christians. The outside world is looking in at this community and they invented a new term, Jesus minions, Christians. And it had a derogatory note to it. It had a condescending tone to it. So Luke is not telling you that's the, the term he invented. This is the outside world looking in, creating a new term because a new community was on the scene. This is super critical to realize. If Jesus didn't die and didn't rise, then as Islam says, for instance, then Judaism just would have continued in the world. But here, a new religious community enters the world scene, and you can see it because new terminology sticks on the world stage. But one thing about this community stood out to me. The world outside could define the group precisely because this group was definable. The disciples at Antioch were a church. You were either in the church at Antioch and called Christians from the outsiders, or you were not. No one was confused about who submitted to Jesus as Lord. Even the text connects the dot. Many were added, large numbers were added to the Lord in verse 24, and large numbers gathered and heard from Paul and Barnabas and were taught the word. Believing and belonging were married together. And one way I think to accent our weirdness in a place like Birmingham, Alabama, is to come all the way in, to formalize your commitment to a a church, a local church here that has an identifiable membership. What do I mean by that? It's so easy to church hop in a place like Birmingham. But when you say, I want to submit to Jesus as Lord with this definable group of people, messy as we are, you are helping our weirdness shine. You see, floating Christians make for fuzzy churches. One foot in a local church and one foot in another local church actually opens the door for you to be just like the world and muddy our witness in the world. But when you formalize that commitment and you say, "I'm, I'm in under the authority of the Lord Jesus with these people, No matter what they do to me, I'm going to forgive them. No matter what I do to them, I hope they will tell me and we will work through it together. But I'm going to stick it out with these definable people. You are making a case clear for the world. You are adding to the potency of our living argument for the authority and winsome nature of the the Lord Jesus. A sticky community sticks out in a world of such fragility in our community so join us after Easter we're going to be in this series called All In so that you can be weird with us together you can join our oddity in a world that takes commitment so flimsily the second aspect of this miracle Luke accents is a new team the bubble wrap was gone a new team so a new term emerged and now a new team emerged the church the bubble wrap was gone what do I mean by bubble wrap We've, especially in the West, we have so bubble-wrapped our lives that we try to eliminate any sense of vulnerabilities. Barnabas, think about him. He sees masses of people coming in droves in Antioch, and he's like, man, I need hands on deck. And he goes through his list of his top top team players that could join him. And he remembers they left Saul behind, that former persecutor over in Acts 9 where the disciples were questioning whether he was legitimate, where persecution actually ran him out of town. And it actually says in verse 25 that it was hard for, uh, for Barnabas to find Saul, because we don't know whether he was hiding from persecution or maybe the disciples had sidelined him, but he searched for him and he finally found him and brought him over to Antioch. And here comes the missionary team. But think of Barnabas, full of faith, good man, full of the Holy Spirit, the text says, and he runs to Paul to enlist him. Why? Because Barnabas didn't insulate his own life with bubble wrap. The Holy Spirit popped that bubble wrap and he saw through Saul's checkered past and he saw the man that God was making him into a missionary that would bring the world the good news. You see, Barnabas's love was as big as God's because he was filled with the heart of the Holy Spirit. His love was risk-embracing, not risk avoiding. You see, fear would make Barnabas retreat into relationships that avoided all potential vulnerabilities. But, but the Holy Spirit in faith presses us into relationships, even relationships that are hard and stretch us. So Luke, even couples this faith of Barnabas with this amazing picture of selfless love. The bubble wrap for these Gentile Christians was gone as well. The Spirit comes to town through the form of Agabus and gives a prediction that a, a famine was coming, that the whole world was in danger of being hungry and a famine would arrive soon. In verse 29, each of the disciples, these Gentile disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters that lived In Judea. Now, did you catch that? The Gentiles, the Greeks, so trusted in God's provision for them that they, even though famine was coming for them too, they didn't stock their own shelves. They stocked the Jewish believers' shelves in Judea and sent a gift to them to care for them. It was of their own accord. This was no campaign from the church of Judea to gather support to make it through the famine. For all we know, they didn't even know the famine was coming at that point um, because this prophet was in Antioch telling them about it. And they send resources to stock the shelves of these believers. You see, a new dance was unfolding before the world's eyes. And this dance was, was crossing cultural boundaries. Jews and Gentiles were dancing together. And you think about our society in the West. It's, this is how we approach the dance floor in the West. And Carl Truman calls it expressive individualism. Basically, we put in noise-canceling headphones and we, uh, and we join the dance floor and we say, hey, as long as you don't bump into me, we can be cool, right? We can, we can dance, even though we're listening to different songs. And then we start bumping into one another. And then we, all of a sudden we look up and no one's dancing with us and we feel lonely. Why? Because you're listening to your own song. (laughs) When Jesus is Lord, true love is birthed in community. This is the world right side up. But when we just want to express ourselves, if you let me be me, not Jesus be Jesus, you got to let me be me, then that's community on your terms and you'll be lonely. It'll malfunction in the end. That dance won't be any fun. Okay? Okay. So this is the selfless love that Jesus' lordship produces in the church that showcased a love that showed that this was the world coming right side up under the authority of Jesus. The third facet of this miraculous unity is the strong tether. The Spirit really does unite all types of people. This is miraculous how, how Luke does this. Let me just summarize it. This is a beauty to behold, but... He puts on repeat the song that started in chapter 2 among the Jews and chapter 4 among the Jews. He puts it on repeat to such a degree that the same dude, Barnabas, that laid the proceeds of the sale of property in Acts chapter 4 at the feet of the apostles to show his generosity and how the Spirit had changed him is the same dude here in Acts 11 that lays this gift from the Gentiles to the Jewish church in Judea at the feet of the elders there. Why? Why? He's saying the same spirit that filled the Jews is the same spirit that fills the Gentiles. This is the strength of our tether. The spirit makes our unity functionally one. He calls us all to the dance floor. And the second way that Luke does this is he shows these authority structures there at work in the churches affirming what God was up to. You see these elders and apostles and others in the church at Jerusalem were weighing in on what happened and what they were saying is, yes, indeed, this was the grace of God. They were given like the notary republic from heaven saying we represent a voice and we steward this gospel message and the gospel isn't really transforming the Greek people. I think in a lot of ways, uh, especially in my world and global, we think if we just get rid of all the entailments of church, like the institutional identity of church and the organizational structure and the leadership, and we just flatten church out to, to everyone being priests, which is true, but we, we get rid of all the, what we call Western entailments, then we'll see the express, explosive growth of the church of Acts. And that's not what Luke is outlining here. That's more a reflection of our culture This flattened view of church that doesn't recognize the nature of good authority is not what's unfolding before the world's eyes. Here's the point. If we're going to be weird, let's go ahead and be legitimately weird, (laughs) right? Let's be organized in our weirdness so that we show the world that this is actually an endorsement from heaven about what this community is up to. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. So let's export not a Western flattened view of church, but an Acts-rich view of church, where good authority structures are, are seen. And friends, if, I know that we all have this struggle in different ways, um, but if you're new to the church and you're looking for someone like you, it's always a struggle we have, right? We wanna resonate with somebody, connect with somebody deeply, and I get that. That is totally natural and totally fine. But I would just encourage you to not let you be the measure of your community. Is it really best that your community orient around you and orbit around you? I want you to ask yourself that question honestly. So is cloning you going to lead to the world right side up? Think about it. (laughs) We need one another. Jamie Dunlop says it this way, if your church is united around Christ alone, then you will often be frustrated by just how often people don't see straight on important secondary issues. I cannot believe that I go to a church with people who think X, Y, or Z. Beyond that, it's not just that these people don't get it about important issues. They don't get you either. The temptation is so strong to flee your church to a church where people think more like you do, which means fleeing to a church that is about Jesus and something else. Our diversity on secondary matters is what highlights the value of the Christ who unites us. Get rid of that diversity, and while church becomes easier, it forfeits its power. It becomes explainable on the world's terms. We need to recommit to the supernatural drawing glue of the gospel. And friends, our life together is the gospel in 4D. Last on your outline there. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if you've ever been to a 4D theater, but God's grace is here extending to the world in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus as Lord. And God's people are embodying that grace in their community and unity together. You see, 3D adds this visual component too, right? What's happening on the screen and what you're witnessing from your seat, there's a visual blurring. But 4D adds another tactile component. So when we were in Vancouver for church planning training before we went overseas, Simeon was two years old. And uh, we went to the aquarium the last week we were there and they have a 4D theater there. I'd never been to one. And so this big beluga whale comes up over the screen and Simeon's just in all of it, right? Already he shoots water out of his spout and the, the glasses are already helping us behold, like, whoa, the water's coming close. But then the seat in front of us scorched water right on Simeon. And for his two-year-old brain, that was too much. All of a sudden it ceased being entertainment and it was like, that beluga whale is real, right? And he was like, daddy, 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 and crawled into my lap, right? That's what the, this gospel proclamation we have in the gospel people. We tell people Jesus is Lord. But when we live that out in community, it adds this 4D tactile component that they actually believe it, that we actually become this living argument For the winsome authority of the Lord Jesus for the world to behold life on his terms. And it's so much beautiful, so much more beautiful than life on their terms. And friends, it's going to be a little unnerving when we live out that message for the people of Birmingham. It's going to look a lot like the world upside down. But let's show the world, Hills what it means to be right side up. Let's recommit to the countercultural supernaturalism of Acts chapter 11. Let's be weird in the world and weird for the sake of the world.